Do you have a message that the world needs to hear? Do you want to make a living making a difference in the world? If so, this is the place for you. Welcome to the Speakers, Authors, and Coaches Podcast. and welcome to this episode of the Speakers, Authors, and Coaches podcast. Today in this episode, as you can see, we are doing a roundtable episode. Well, I guess I should say those who are watching this can see uh, that this is a roundtable episode. Um, what we are talking about today is my very favorite entrepreneur and my very favorite influencer, and that is Walt Disney. Uh, right here, I have this book, How to Be Like Walt. This book uh, has been the most influential book, a business book that I've actually ever read. And there's two reasons why we're doing this episode. I want to get through those before I introduce our guest today, our other panelists. Uh, number one, the number one reason is, in my mind, Walt Disney has done so much to be uh, an amazing influencer and have an impact on the world. He has been dead for 50 years, and yet he is still having a huge impact on the world, and there's so much that we can learn from him. We're going to talk about that in this episode. The second reason why I'm doing this episode about Walt Disney is this is my podcast, and I can do whatever I want. And uh, this episode is going to be about Walt Disney. So let's introduce our panelists, uh, starting um, first, just say hi. We have Chuck Schofield here. Hello. All right. And we have Rob Foray. Hello. It's an honor to be here. All right, and then my brother, Kenny Ballantyne. Howdy. All right. Uh, to get started, I, wanna, I want each of you to introduce yourself, and I want it to be um, almost like your Disney bio. I've invited you here for very specific reasons. Uh, you share my uh, love for Walt Disney and have a, a, a love for the Disney universe in a way that um, most adults do not. So let's start with that and we'll start with Chuck. That most adults do not, shame on them. You know, they're, they're really just missing out. But uh, thank you for uh, having me. It's an honor to be here. I, I, I do feel a little inadequate in that I am not a professional Disney historian or Disney commentator, but I'm certainly an amateur one. Uh, I've had a Disneyland pass almost most of my life. Uh, I, I like to tell people I grew, I grew up in Disneyland's backyard, about 20 miles north of Disneyland. Uh, been to Disney World more than 10 times, and I'm just a, a huge fan and excited to be here. Awesome. Well, thank you, Chuck. And uh, I, I talk about you as the only person I know who's been to Disneyland more than I have. So I think it's very awesome. Uh, Rob. Hi, my name is Rob Fram from Salt Lake City, Utah. I grew up here in the shadows of the Wasatch. Uh, but my experience with Disney, you know, growing up watching the movies, going to Disneyland as a kid, and then also going to Disney World as a child. Um, and I had the privilege to go to Disney World as a child before they blew up Epcot. <laughs> I got to go to the original rides, which I loved. And that was one of my favorite parks growing up as a child. And then later on in life, I had the opportunity to do what is called the Walt Disney World College Program. So I graduated from college in 2003, and then I moved to Orlando, Florida in 2004. I spent three years working 
full-time and part-time for the mouse, where I got my MFA, which is Masters of Family Entertainment, MFE, sorry, Masters of Family Entertainment down in Orlando, Florida. And since then, I've been able to go back and visit, and uh, I've been to Walt Disney World more than 10 times. So uh, Chuck, I got your beat on that because I actually worked there. I lived there. And one thing, Jake, if this is all right, I'm going to insert this little ditty. I think it'd be fun for all of us to share your favorite animated film and your favorite live action film. So I'll start right here. My favorite live action film, Condor Man. And my favorite animated film, The Incredibles. Nice. I like it. Very cool. I like it. Condor Man. I don't think I've seen Condor Man. I have you not haven't seen, seen it Condor Man. No, I haven't seen it either. You have, what? Who are you people? This I'm sorry. Is, <laughs> I'm sorry. It is the best superhero movie. It's before Marvel went Marvel. Go ahead and watch it. Uh, Michael Crawford, amazing, before he was the Phantom of the Opera. Anyway, my favorite wow. movie. Before me. Love it. Well, that's awesome. Very cool. Thank you, Rob. Kenny. Hey, I'm Kenny Ballantyne. Uh, I am a filmmaker and professional storyteller, so I've always been inspired by Walt Disney, who had storytelling in his blood from the time he was a little child. And um, my greatest memories and experiences with, uh, with connecting to Walt Disney has to be ditching high school numerous times getting into taking going with this guy and uh, driving down to anaheim going to disneyland instead of attending class yes it nearly cost me my high school education worth it but it gave it gave me a real education yeah <laughs> i learned i seriously learned more from those experiences than i did in the classroom <laughs> you know kenny uh as a high school teacher and as someone who feels like he learned more from disney than from his public school education. I approve that message. Good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> finally, finally got validated. Thank you. So as a, as a kid, so I'll make mine, mine brief. Um, but as a kid growing up, our cousins who Chuck Schofield is our cousin and uh, our cousin and his family had annual passes to Disneyland. And we were always jealous because we wanted to have annual passes to Disneyland. And uh, that wasn't in the cards for us at the time. And then around, I don't know, I was, I think I was 14 and, and you were probably 16, something like that. My parents just said, look, if you guys want Disneyland passes, then go, go get them, go earn, go earn the money and, and get it yourself. So uh, we got our, you know, one of our first jobs. And the, the only reason why we got the job was so we could save enough money to get Disneyland passes and then provide gas money and food at Disneyland. Uh, and we were ditching school while doing it. Um, <laughs> most of the time was, was when we went. Um, and honestly, I heard Tony Robbins recently say, never let school get in the way of your education. So I think that's all we were doing. We were just trying to get, get that. But the real reason why uh, Walt has been such an influence to me and, and my background here is uh, Walt Disney has been, I'd say the biggest, the biggest influence to me to be an entrepreneur. And, uh, in fact, when Kenny gave me this book, I was always a huge fan of, of going to Disneyland and Disney in general. There's a the book there too. Um, 
was always a big fan and that that park just represented dreams coming true and, and the impossible coming true. But then I read this book and it was shortly before I started my entrepreneurial journey. I wasn't sure what I was going to do out of college, whether or not I was going to you know, get a job somewhere or go off on my own. And this book, How to Be Like Walt by Pat Williams, is the reason, it is the reason why I decided to be an entrepreneur. It's the reason why I did that. And Walt's been just a huge influence to me from the beginning. Um, Rob, you said favorite movies. I would say uh, live action, Rocketeer. And uh, the uh, animated is Sword in the Stone. That's, that's my favorite. Oh, beautiful. Sword in the Stone is fantastic. It's an underrated one. Uh, real quick, you two. And then uh, Chuck has something really special to start us off. So, Kenny, two movies. Uh, Put me on the spot. That's really hard. I'm going to just go with the easy, low-hanging fruit and say uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs because – of, of what went into making that and how it was like nothing like it had ever been done before. So whenever I watch that movie, I get all kinds of feels. Uh, live action though. Live action Easy. is tough. No, it's not. Okay. Blackbeard's ghost. Oh yeah. yeah. Blackbeard's ghost is amazing. It's a good movie. That one's better than Rocket. Was it Peter Ustinov? Was yep. the yeah. Yep. Yeah, Peter Ustinov. Beautiful. Yeah. That movie was incredible. So, Chuck, your two movies, and then let's get to your. Uh, you know, I don't play favorites, uh, so I'll just cop out and go for the low hanging fruit that satisfies both of your requirements Mary Poppins. Nice. <laughs> there you go. I like uh, it. Uh, but, you know, uh, I, I told you before we started that uh, I, I thought it would be fun to start with a song. And uh, I'm not going to sing the song, I'm not the singer in this group. Uh, but I, I, instead, I'll just read the lyrics. And the reason why I want to read these lyrics isn't just because it's the song uh, from my favorite ride ever that I desperately and painfully miss. Um, it's also the unofficial theme song to Walt Disney Imagineering. Okay, this song, speaking of Mary Poppins, was written by uh, uh, Richard Sherman and... Uh, Robert, his brother, and it was for, initially, uh, Journey into Imagination, uh, which was one of the original rides at Epcot Center in the Imagination Pavilion. Yeah. Uh, now, the reason it's perfect for that ride is because it talks about the creative process. But the reason why it's perfect for this podcast is because it talks about how we are influenced and how we influence others, how that creative process is contagious and how um, it's synergistic and collaborative. Now it doesn't use those words and maybe I'm reading that into it a little bit, but listen and, and see if you hear what I hear. This is One Little Spark by Richard, Richard M. and Robert B. Sherman. One Little Spark of inspiration is at the heart of all creation right at the start of everything that's new one little spark lights up for you imagination imagination a dream can be a dream come true with just that spark from me to you one bright idea one right connection can give our lives 
a new direction. So many times we're stumbling in the dark and then Eureka, that little spark. Imagination, imagination. A dream can be a dream come true with just that spark from me and you. One little spark, one, one flight of fancy shines up the dark so that we can see. When things look grim and nothing's going right, one little spark clicks on the light. Imagination, imagination, a dream can be a dream come true with just that spark from me to you. Now that's not the whole song, but uh, that, that's the part that I thought encapsulated what uh, it sounded like you're trying to do, not just with this episode of the podcast, but with the whole um, influencer and study of influencers. Uh, I hope that that adds to the tone you're trying to create here. Absolutely. Right over your shoulder, you have the dream maker, right? Dream finder and figment, yeah. Then the dream song finder. goes into introducing uh, those two characters. Uh, he, the dream finder actually sings that song. Uh, but um, you have actually a little the, bit like that character. <laughs> yeah. I may or may not try to impersonate his physical features, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but talking about, you know, we'll get into how much I was influenced by that song and by that park and by that ride and by Disney. Uh, you know, and it's maybe even a physical manifestation. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for that. And that actually brings us into where I really want to start with this. <clears throat> and, you know, this is the speakers, authors, and coaches podcast. But this particular episode, I want to focus on all message-driven entrepreneurs. Because that, that's really what, what um, these people are who watch this show. And really what Walt Disney is at the core is a message-driven entrepreneur. And, uh, and an ultimate influencer. And so I want to ask the question, and, and I want to open this up to where it's not just I ask one person the next, but let's have a discussion here. Um, what can influencers today learn from Walt Disney? And how about let's start with Rob, and then from there we'll just kind of go, go off on uh, whatever you say. We'll, we'll riff on that. So... I did not give my background once I moved to Orlando, Florida, what I started to do. My first job working at Walt Disney World was working in the parking lot at MGM Studios. It was not the most dynamic. It was not the most sexy job out there. But here's the cool thing about that job that I tell people. It was the first contact for people entering that park. You come into that parking lot, right? And that is the first contact anybody has with that Disneyland, with that theme park experience. So we also have to, right out of the gate, create an experience for them as they enter that park. I also worked at the Haunted Mansion and the Jungle Cruise. So Jungle Cruise, Haunted Mansion, two amazing rides. But the reason I tell you about these places is when I got my job there, we did what is called traditions. If you're not familiar with traditions, it's a class that they teach you about the traditions that Walt has instilled upon this company and the culture that he has created. And so what is really cool is they teach you where it all started and where it all came from. And then every time you work at a different park, you also go through traditions for that park. So when I got my job at the Jungle Cruise, I went through traditions at Magic Kingdom. But here's what I found out living in Orlando, Florida. Orlando, Florida is home to also Universal Studios, SeaWorld, 
Just down the road, they have Bush Gardens. They have all these different theme parks. And the thing is, Disney is the standard. Disney is the standard for any theme parks in the world. Walt Disney created this theme park experience that everybody is trying to replicate. And the thing is, there's a different feel while working at Universal Studios as opposed to working for Walt Disney World. I also worked at the Nickelodeon Hotel. So I was able to work at these different theme parks, including Universal Studios and SeaWorld, and feel the culture. And people that want to work for Disney are Disney people. And they feed into that culture. So the ultimate influence is that culture that he created on entertainment. Entertainment changed with Walt Disney, not only through movies and cartoons, but the theme park world and what entertainment can be. Anybody that goes on a Disney cruise knows that a Disney cruise is different from any other cruise because of the entertainment that they bring. So the ultimate influences he brought into as an entrepreneur for myself, I went on to create my own job, which was headlining and doing speaking engagements, but I also have a DJ company. And I use those standards that Disney has given me. I also work for Radio Disney. And they have such a great culture that people want to be a part of that you learn about it and then you replicate it in your own business. And everybody's constantly trying to replicate that influence within their own business. So any entrepreneur, if you want to look at the standard of customer service, it's Disney. Yeah. What, one thing you brought up there is just this, this level of quality. And that's one thing that, that I'm trying to do and that, that I try to emulate is quality, but specifically experiences, you know, taking an experience and doing something that, that Walt Disney called plussing. He referred to it as plussing. We got to plus this, make it just a little bit better. And uh, I think that one of the reasons why Disney stands above everything else is just that, that plussing the experience, taking everything to a whole nother level. And I think that that's something that all of us can learn from every entrepreneur in any field, but specifically a message driven entrepreneur, the people watching this is that if you can take your product and just add that little bit extra, I mean, that's what really makes the difference. That's why my wife and I, we don't really have much interest going to other parks. We really just want to go to Disney parks. That's all we want to do. And uh, Kenny, we've talked a lot about plussing. Talk a little bit about that. Well, I think another way to, to say that is also just no compromising. Hmm. Don't compromise on uh, what you're delivering to people, whether you're delivering your message through uh, speaking, coaching, writing, or in my case, filmmaking. Um, there's always an easier way out. There's always hacks. Everyone's into hacks right now. Yeah, hacks. Uh, you know, Tim, Tim Ferriss. for hacks. Tim Ferriss has made the the four hour work week a, a big thing right now, right? Yeah. Um, but but ultimately, the things that last, the things that make a difference to people, the things that inspire people, come from the people who don't use hacks. They come from the people who put in the extra effort. The people who aren't satisfied when they know they could have done just a little bit more. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what plusing means to me. That's awesome. Chuck, what do you think influencers and message driven entrepreneurs uh, today can learn from Walt Disney? I, uh, I had this uh, bumper sticker from, uh, I think it was from maintenance at Disney. And I tried to find it for this podcast to put behind me, but I couldn't find it, but it said quality is contagious. 
Like mm. that, that's all the bumpers. And it had a little Mickey and a worker outfit. And, and I thought, oh, that, that kind of encapsulates what you, what the three of you just talked about. Um, um, I'm reminded of uh, the, the uh, original Epcot movie that uh, was the last thing that Walt filmed before he died uh, was the pitch film for Epcot Center. Uh, it was actually written, the entire script of it was written by the voice of Walt Disney that a lot of people don't know. Um, um, you know, there's one name on the door at the Walt Disney Company, one name. And sometimes that might seem selfish, but um, that no one else gets credit. Um, but uh, it's really in the spirit of collaboration and in the spirit of um, none of us is as smart as all of us. And what the Walt Disney Corporation called all of us is the Walt Disney Company. Right? I mean, not that he was the brains behind it all, but that he was the leader of a big, big team a team that created a culture that uh, the three of you have already alluded to. Um, but that, that spirit of collaboration and that everything is better when everyone has input, uh, it's sometimes slow, but it, it comes up with some real quality stuff. Anyway, uh, the voice of Walt in almost everything he read, uh, both publicly or on TV or, or anywhere, was a, a gentleman by the name of Marty Sklar. Uh, he was actually hired in June of 1955 uh, when he was a senior, a junior or senior at UCLA. He was the editor of the Bruin, the Daily Bruin. Real, and he real was quick, hired, I, yeah. When you say the voice of, you mean he was the one writing it? Is that what you're saying? In other words, yeah. like uh, like He uh, was like the writer. Right. Okay. Um, most of what Walt said was written first by Marty Sklar, but Walt chose Marty because Marty got Walt and they mm -hmm. had a great synergistic relationship. Um, anyway, in the intro to um, this Epcot film, he quotes, he quotes uh, a gentleman at, who was speaking at Harvard about urban design. And this might sound like it's out of uh, context, but I think it perfectly encapsulates what the three of you just said. Uh, in 1963, James W. Rouse, um, he was uh, in his keynote speech before the 1963 Urban Design Conference at Harvard University said, I hold a view that may be somewhat shocking to an audience as sophisticated as this, and I might say that to your audience on this podcast an audience as sophisticated as this that the greatest piece of urban design in the united states today is disneyland if you think about disneyland and think about its performance in relationship to its purpose its meaning to people more than that its meaning to the process of development you will find it the outstanding piece of urban design in the United States. It took an area of activity, the amusement park, and lifted it to a standard so high in its performance, in its respect for people, in its functioning for people, that it really does become a brand new thing. It fulfills all its functions it set out to accomplish. 
it unconsciously, unselfconsciously, usefully, and profitably to its owners and developers. I find more to learn in the standards that have been set and in the goals that have been achieved in the development of Disneyland than in any other piece of physical development in the country. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. So to piggyback off of what you were saying about uh, teamwork, the thing about working for Walt Disney World, it was very interesting. They, they teach what is called the Disney scoop. And the Disney scoop is basically you can go beyond doing your job and helping what is called the show, preserve the show. Because when we go out onto, well, stage, as they call it, basically when we are on stage, we are having to preserve that. And so I can't member. think of any way, other way to say it. We're all cast members. And it, we're not employees. We are cast members who are on stage helping this theme park experience. And so what the Disney scoop is, if somebody happens to uh, throw something on the ground or drop something, I'm not going to wait for what are called the showkeepers, a.k.a. custodians, janitorial staff, to pick it up. I can pick it up myself. And I can do it in stride, pick it up, and throw it away because I'm helping preserve the show. And I love that, our, that the janitors are called showkeepers. We have to preserve the show. And that is the part of the teamwork and the collaboration that they have instilled at these theme parks. That's so cool. Uh, one of my favorite things about Walt Disney and biggest reason why I have started doing a seminar right outside of, of Disneyland and, and going to Disneyland as a part of that. And, and soon we're going to be doing Florida as well and going to Disney World. <laughs> and um, one of the, 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 the two things, number one, it's that commitment to achieving his dreams turning dreams into a reality, but two, it's his persistence. I mean, one of the most inspiring things about him is how many times he not only came close to failure, but did fail. You know, he, he came to failure and then went beyond it, but kept going and kept going. Um, Kenny, you want to touch That's on that? That's been on the tip of my tongue, but ever since you asked what, what else can your audience learn from Walt Disney as a, as a message driven entrepreneur, um, is just never give up and don't listen to cynics, right? Yeah. Because Walt Disney was told, you'll never be able to make money drawing silly pictures. And then he was told, there is no future in animation. And then he was told, uh, no one will want to pay to have sound connected to your animation, have cartoons with sound. And then he was told, no one will bear the expense of color animation. And then he was told no one would ever sit through a feature animated film. And then he was told who would go out to the middle of nowhere in Orange County to go to some theme park, right? He was told no, that's a bad idea by very accomplished, smart people over and over and over. But he always did what he believed was, he was always followed his passion, his dream. He never compromised and he didn't give in to many, many temptations to take an easier road. Yeah. He, had, he had ample opportunities to do something that was more cautious, more safe, and an easier way to money and success. But he was willing to gamble that all over and over again to pursue his dream. Yeah, love it. And that's so, why the product's so good. So think of all the many things that have happened in that wake. So 
there were amusement parks before Disneyland, but there were no theme parks, in my opinion. So that was the first major theme park. So we now have what is Universal Studios, you know, SeaWorld, Busch Gardens, these different type of theme parks are now out there because Disneyland is there. Who else is out there? We have DreamWorks. We wouldn't have DreamWorks without Disney. We wouldn't have Pixar. You know, so all these different studios are now created because of animation, because somebody did it at first. He led the way as an entrepreneur to, to lead the way in theme parks, in animated movies, you know, in creating sound. his own studio. That's another one. There Stereo you go. sound. That was created for Fantasia. Right. I just wanted to add another thing there. And, and you know, um, with all due respect to our apparent preferences for the Disney parks, um, it has been 50 or 60 years, you know, since this all started, 60 or 70 years since this all started, and this culture was created, uh, um, so much so that so many employees have been through the system and have learned the culture and so many Imagineers have been hired and fired and gone to work for other companies that they took that, that influence, that, that Walt influenced the original Imagineers, the original Imagineers influenced the next generation, the next generation got fired and went to work for Universal and other parks. So, yeah. so where now you got Harry Potter land, which out yeah. Disney's Disney, right? It, right. It, and, and the reason why they didn't compromise on the quality was because they learned the culture from Walt Disney Imagineering to not do that. So how can we do it better? Influencing further. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with this idea of, of never compromising and never giving up, I just want to share a story with me when I was first starting out um, just finishing college and I was thinking, okay, I want to do this thing. I want to go off and be a speaker and make this happen. And I was offered another job and I thought, well, I could do that job and I can make good money doing that. And I could, I could do that, but it's not really what I want to do. And, and I know what I want to do. I know what my vision is. I know what my goals are, but I could go and do that. And then I read in this book, a story about Walt Disney, uh, getting a job offer that his dad helped him with at a jelly factory. And he was offered this job and it was a very, you know, good paying job for his level of where he was at. And it had, benefits and it had I don't know all those details of what all it came with but but he felt like it was the right it was the uh, smart choice to make and he refused to do it because he knew what he was doing he knew what he wanted and most of the time when you hear stories like that then they it's basically happily ever after that's the story hey and then he took then he went off on his own and everything went great no he went off on his own and then his company went bankrupt And, and he had failure after failure after failure, but he kept going. And, and that's the thing is like, if you really want to succeed, you got to be able to push through the failures. You got to be able to face failure. So many people are are talking about being risk averse and trying to hedge their bets. And and I get that. But at the same time, there, there has to come a time as an entrepreneur where you jump in with both feet and you say, this is what I'm doing. And it doesn't matter what's going to come my way. I'm going to keep pushing forward. And that so, success is not necessarily a rocket ship to the moon. No. Right? 
so one in the wake of that whole jelly factory thing, uh, you know, he went on and did his own thing and he kept having these ups and downs. And one of those post Mickey Mouse. So after Mickey Mouse already existed, Walt Disney had a phase where he couldn't afford to go pick up his shoes from the shoe repair store. So he's walking around town barefoot because he doesn't have enough money to go pick up his recently repaired shoes. Mm. Post Mickey. Okay. Mm. <laughs> wow. So that's amazing. I wanted to talk about because you're talking about how he failed so many times. I find this very fascinating. I look at the two of you, the Ballantine brothers. You know, you guys balance each other out and you guys have different visions and different ways of doing things. Let's talk about Roy for a minute. Yep. How influential was Roy and how instrumental was he in helping creating this process, you know, and being a big support. And, but there were also times where Roy had to bring Walt down to earth, yep. but there were, they were such a, you know, great complementary figures to each other. So I want to hear your guys' uh, thoughts on Roy and what he did for that, for, for, for Walt. It's funny that you mentioned that because as nerdy as it sounds, there are times in my business where I literally say to myself, okay, it's time to put on my Walt hat. Okay, it's time to put on my Roy hat. And I, yeah. I mean, it sounds so dorky that I do this, but I literally look at problems through the lens of Roy or through the lens of Walt. I, I actually think that, I say that to myself. And so the Walt lens is, okay, let's go for the moon and, and there's no, nothing holding back. But then I think, well, there's a reason why Walt went bankrupt before he was with, with Roy. And it's because he didn't think about those things. He just thought about quality and did not think about the other side. And if it wasn't for Roy, we would not be having this conversation today. And they, they work so well with each other, even though many times they were butting heads. But um, for me personally, I like to look at things from that lens and say, okay, that's awesome. Like, that's amazing that that's what I want to do. But now how can I make it happen? And I look at, at, Walt Disney and Roy, and I think that Walt was the dreamer, and in many ways, Roy was the doer. Um, Walt, maybe he was doing things before, but he wasn't able to complete them. He was making promises he couldn't, he couldn't uh, keep. He was uh, not being able to pay bills, and at the end of the day, if he wasn't focused on the, the income side, he was just focused on the impact and on the, the giving and all that kind of stuff. But if we don't focus on the income side of things as well, then we're not going to have a business. We're not going to have an impact at all. We're not going to be able to do anything. And so I, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think Roy is really the unsung hero of this whole story because we would not be having this conversation if it wasn't for uh, Roy. And in fact, I, I keep referencing this book, but in this book, there is one chapter called How to Not Be Like Walt. And uh, that, that chapter talks a lot about uh, some of Roy's strengths. What do you think? I think the other lesson to, to take from Walt and Roy's relationship is that uh, you should never think that you're going to make it on your own or that you're more powerful because you're going it alone. Yeah. You know? uh, and having the humility to accept the help of someone who has tools that maybe you don't have is, is essential. It is absolutely, I mean, Roy is never in the spotlight, but he, he made his whole professional career taking care of his little brother. I mean, that's, that's literally what his whole life was about. 
keeping his little brother out of trouble. And came out of retirement. Yeah, to, yeah that's true. To yeah. make sure that Walt Disney World happened. And most people don't know this. Yeah. He died. I mean, right after it opened. Immediately after yeah. Disneyland. He oversaw the Disney World. Disney yeah. World of the Magic Kingdom in Florida. He gave his dedic- dedication speech. He walked back to his office and it was almost, I don't know, days. Well, I didn't know that. It was within days. He was, really? He died. I mean, he was like hanging on to life to finish up Walt's work. Hmm. So one thing I find fascinating about Walt Disney, though, he would set something up. So, for example, his first pursuit was animation. So he did, you know, he did the animated shorts and then he did an animated film. And then they started creating a studio, right? So what I want to talk about is the delegation that he did. So once he started doing that, he started delegating things. And then he created a studio. After the studio, they started cranking out films. What was his next thing? a theme park. So he let the studio run his films. He still oversaw it, but then he went into theme parks and then he went into live action films, you know? And so, and then he wanted to, then he went into TV, ABC, right? So he wanted to be on TV. And so he kept going into these certain things and then he would delegate and keep creating something bigger and better and get empowering his team to do more and be more. Yeah, and so I think that's another thing we can learn as entrepreneurs is if you have this big vision, empower your team to take on the different aspects and let them do what they do best. Like the Imagineers doing this, animators doing this. He was the big picture, but he started delegating, giving those jobs to other people. Yeah, I love to, that. To your point, do any of you guys know what category Walt Disney is under? on his uh, Hollywood star, on the, in the Hollywood Walk of Fame, Walt Disney star. For everyone, every celebrity that has a star mm-hmm. on the sidewalk in Hollywood, it has their name and it has their category, be it movies, radio, yeah. you know, animation, could be many things. You know what's under Walt Disney? This sounds like a fun trivia quit. Entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. It's oh, entrepreneur. Wow. Yeah, because I mean, if you really think about what, what was his ultimate strength, it wasn't that he was, it's not his artistry. But he fired himself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't that he was particularly skilled at any one of these things that all became masterpieces. It was inspiring people to take what was in his head and turn it into masterpieces and, and creating these teams and creating culture and creating movements. Um, that was his art, right? Yeah. And sometimes his lack of knowledge helped him a lot because he didn't know that things were impossible and he would tell his, his, his team to create something and they say, that's not possible. And then he just, they say, he just furrow his brow and go, Hmm, and then walk away. And then they'd, they'd figure <laughs> it out. They'd, they'd go, oh, shoot, we gotta, we gotta make it work. So, um, anyway, I, I think that's really interesting. Um, let's go around the horn. I want to ask this one question in your opinion, why is Walt Disney the ultimate influencer? Let's start with Chuck. Uh, well, building on what we were talking about, about um, creating the culture, um, uh, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, the Isaac Newton quote, uh, if I have seen further, it's by standing on the shoulders of giants. Um, certainly, Walt was influenced by many things in his life. 
both his successes and failures and role models and family members and stuff. Uh, but then he influenced others. They continued the tradition. Uh, they made things and movies and shows and places that influenced millions of people, including myself. Um, I think about how um, things that Walt never touched that have seriously influenced my life. Um, and going back and tracing that back to him and back even prior to him uh, is just fascinating to see the, the building of, of, of that influence and how, and how there's an exponential effect on, on not just the number of people, but, the, but how powerful the message is. Um, for example, he never, uh, he never went on, you know, he never went to Epcot, right? He never went to Epcot Center. The Epcot Center of today is not the Epcot Center that he designed, but it is still thoroughly walled. Uh, it is still thoroughly Walt's one foot in the past and one foot in the future. It's still thoroughly his appreciation for multiculturalism and, and being a futurist and being optimistic towards the future. He was one of the few uh, futurists that was actually optimistic, right, about the, how the future could be better. And why and how can it be better? By synergizing with, with and collaborating not just with each other, but with industry and with other countries. And, and um, I think about all the reasons why I, for example, care about communication or the oceans or how food is produced or the creative process or the history of transportation or, or space exploration or energy. If you don't know what I just did, I, I, I talked about Future World at Epcot Center. Or, or why I care about uh, multiculturalism and diversity and, and um, why I see value in exchanging, uh, in cultural exchange. Um, is it because I learned it in textbooks in school or is it because I went to a special place and had a special experience, a place that was bigger than life? Uh, um, one of my favorite things about Imagineers is they all, they, they all live by this motto uh, that they believe that people are essentially good and that good places make people happy and that happy people make the world a better place. Like the, these people actually believe that the work they put into the detail and the quality of a place actually makes the world a better place. And that might sound trite, and that might sound naive, but to these people, it's real. And to me, that's real. And, and, and if, if you were to ask me, why do I care about all those things? I'd have to lean on that, you know? So, so how is Walt the ultimate influencer? I could draw a straight line back to how, how, how strongly I feel about all those things back to him. And that's powerful. 
That's super powerful for, for someone who you weren't on the same planet with at the same time. Yeah. Amazing. He's not a man who was a political leader, not a man who was a religious leader. This is yeah. a guy who had a dream. And for that to be the case is incredible. What do you think? An American entrepreneur. That's all he was. It's amazing. Rob, why to you is uh, Walt Disney the ultimate influencer? What, what do you think? So we use the E word entrepreneur, but I would say he was the ultimate entertainer. He, mm. everything he did revolved around entertainment, you know, movies, animation, theme parks, everything he does was towards the world of entertainment. That's the world I live in, right? Yeah. Everything I do revolves around entertainment. And the thing is, I see his footprint in everything, in music, television, movies. I did a party last week. Well, I did a, an event at the mall where we brought in somebody dressed up as Belle, right? That was like the most attended event at this mall that I've done in about a year because all the little girls were there to see Belle. Hmm. You know, uh, also he, he now has a footprint in television, in sports, they own ESPN, yeah. uh, Broadway. Disney is now on Broadway. The ultimate influence is because of the entertainment that he brought, the entertainment culture. And everybody's trying to replicate that. Everybody, that is the standard. Everybody wants to be a part of that. You Everybody, know, if I could just riff, riff on that yes. right now, uh, uh, one more quote from him. He said, yes. that just is exactly what you're talking about. He said, I would rather entertain and hope that people learn something mm. than educate people and hope that they were entertained. Ooh, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. I've never heard yeah. that. That's and, yeah. and, and, and think about that. You know, he did a lot of education through his, his theme parks. A lot. A lot. His, his theme parks entertaining. He did those TV shows where they, they would talk about the animals and the world and the universe, you know, I watched those Jiminy Cricket cartoons learning about life. You know, uh, I'm no fool, no siree. I want to live to be 73. You know, and those things still live with us. We sing those songs. We dance to the music. We go to the theme parks. We watch those movies as a family. And think about these things that bring people together. Think about how people save for years to take their entire family to go to Disney World. And then when people go, they celebrate that. And everybody celebrates the fact that they go to Disney World. And that is a commonality all over the world. He now has a footprint in Japan and in China. You know, it, these theme parks are all over the place. People are watching these movies all over the world. I mean, is there another, I, I don't have the statistic in front of me, but is there another studio that has created more movies, more cartoons that have grossed more money than the Walt Disney studio. I don't think anyone's close. Not even close. No one's even right? close. And, and going off on that about the, the entertainment and the education, it's really interesting because when you look at really any, anyone who is at you know, next level success, it's always an aspect of entertainment because people want, they want to be entertained. They want to enjoy themselves. And I look at you know, the, the person who is the biggest in the motivational speaking world being Tony Robbins. And you know, I went to an event that was 50 hours long. And what was different about his event uh, in terms of content compared to the 
you know, dozens and dozens of other similar events I've been to, not much, really not much. But the entertainment value of that event was, I mean, yeah. it was the best rock concert I've ever been to. That's, that's what it felt like. And yeah. the, you know, hours and hours went by without knowing it because there was so much entertainment. And that's a guy who really values the same thing about being, you know, the quality, uh, quality being at a whole different level, but also the entertainment side of it being at a whole different level. And I think that everyone in any business, especially anything where you're trying to educate people, if we can add some entertainment to it, uh, man, that, that, that just changes the whole ball game. When people are having fun, they learn things. There's a reason why we remember these things. You were talking about China earlier. You know, they are teaching kids. Uh, Disney is, you know, as, as now that they're Shanghai Disney, obviously they're wanting to get more and more and more into China, being in mainland China now. And they have a program now of learning English through Disney songs and through Disney movies. And now one, that's just such a cool way for these kids to learn because they're going to learn because it's so catchy and memorable, but also it's a really genius business idea because all these kids are going to be, you know, learn, you know, they're, they're going to be, uh, they, it's like all they're doing is, is, uh, learning Disney things. But anyway, it's really interesting. Uh, Kenny, same question about why is Walt the ultimate influencer to you? I think that, um, what Walt has in common with the other most influential people in the history of the world uh, is that he wasn't uh, too caught up in trying to be the most mm. successful influencer in the yeah. history of the world. Huh. And I think that many, many people miss the mark when they get caught up in, okay, what, what is trendy right now? What will get me the, what, what can I do on screen today? That'll get me the most views on YouTube. Yeah. You know, what, what did this guru say? What did that guru say? I, I should just keep, you know, plug it into my, my machine and turn it into results. Walt wasn't interested in any, anything like that. Yeah. Walt didn't care about Facebook at all. That's true. He didn't, <laughs> but whatever the Facebook equivalent was of the 1950s and forties, it was called a newspaper. <laughs> was first and foremost and always preoccupied with uh, what he was passionate about at the time. Yeah. He was completely dedicated to his dream and his vision and for making it real in the world. And I think that whatever your mission is, whatever your message is that you hope to share with the world, you will do yourself and the rest of the world a much greater service by letting that be your driving force, letting that be your fuel that gets you up and going every day, as opposed to what well, you know. How how well did my Facebook ads do this morning? Totally, like totally. Uh, for me to answer that question, uh, I'd say you know three words, and it's it's vision, uh, it's quality, and it's dedication. Why was he such an influencer? Why can we still feel his influence 50 years after he died? It's because he was dedicated to a couple things. He was dedicated to his vision, and that vision changed from time to time. You know, that changed from decade to decade, but he was dedicated to that, and nothing was going to stop him. He was going to find a way. It wasn't, he just didn't see that it couldn't be done. He knew there would be a way, and so he found those ways. And, and so what can we learn from that? 
it doesn't matter if somebody is a speaker, if somebody is an entrepreneur, if somebody here is an IT guy, if you are focused on your vision of what it is that you want to produce in the world and be dedicated to that. And then the other thing is dedication to quality. The, the dedication that he had to quality, it was just unbelievable, totally next level to quality uh, workmanship, to quality experiences. And uh, that's something that everyone can learn from in any field, whatever they're doing. If they are dedicated to, let's call it your mission, you can say vision, your mission, whatever it is, you know, every, every good company has a mission. If your personal company doesn't have a mission, you really should work on that. Um, and at least be clear on what it is you're trying to create. Um, but if you can be dedicated to your mission, dedicated to your vision, and also dedicated to quality, that's something that, that every one of us can take. And the reason why he was so successful is that dedication. And uh, he just continuously inspires me. That's why I do so much to stay along with Walt Disney. I know I've referenced this book many times, but I read this book annually. I read this book every year. It's a part of my yearly rituals. And it's something that, you know, we go back to Disneyland all the time. We're planning another Disney World trip. Why? I mean, yes, I, I love going there and it's a magical place, but it's an inspiring place to me. It, it rejuvenates me and tells me, okay, I, if this can be here, I can do anything. And uh, to me, that, that's, that's why he's that ultimate influencer, but that's also what, what he means to me and why we're here talking. So we're just about out of time. And so what I want to do now is any last thoughts that you guys have, let's take everyone have a, a, a few minutes to talk about whatever it is that you want to share with the members of the speakers, authors, and coaches network uh, about this man that, that all of us obviously love and admire. Uh, let's start with Chuck. Well, uh, you know, um, I didn't ask you permission to do this, Jake, but uh, do you recall when the four of us were last at Disneyland and uh, I, I pointed up to the uh, above the fire station on, on, on Main Street? Uh, maybe some of your listeners are aware of it and some of them aren't. But above the fire station at Disneyland, there's a little 500 square foot apartment where Walt and his wife uh, would stay uh, during the building and early years of Disneyland. Just two little pull-out beds, very tiny closet, very little kitchenette. Uh, but every time Walt was in the park, they would turn on a lamp that was in the front uh, or in the window right above the fire station. Uh, and that way the workers would know, or I'm sorry, the cast members would know uh, that he was there. Uh, after he died, uh, the lamp remained, but they decided to leave it on at all times, uh, uh, symbolic of his spirit always being there. Uh, and we, when we went, we saw it, and that was cool. And I didn't ask you permission for this, Jake, but I'm going to embarrass you and do this anyway. Hold Good. on real fast. What is he doing? <laughs> Jacob Valentine. For being a dreamer and a doer, and for embodying the optimism of Walt Disney, I present you with this Spirit of Walt Disney lamp pin. Oh, that's gonna, awesome. Wait, hold it up I'm to gonna, the camera a little more. I'm going to put it in the mail tomorrow 
Oh, that is awesome. Uh, describe and, it for the podcast. Oh, so it, it's, <laughs> a, it's a pin. It. It's, a, it's a pin of the Victorian uh, lamp, uh, a replica of the lamp that's in the uh, window in that apartment, and it even lights up. Oh, oh that is so cool. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Oh. Uh, so that's, that's in the mail for you tomorrow, buddy. Oh, thank you so much, Chuck. That's awesome. I that's love great. that. Oh, thank you. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> the light, that's great. Oh, I feel like I should have an acceptance speech right now. Uh, <laughs> I, I won't, but I feel that way. Thank you very much, Chuck. I appreciate that. Um, Rob, let's go to you now. I think one of the coolest things to think about with Walt is he came from such humble beginnings. Um, I went to an exhibition called One Man's Dream about Walt Disney, and it used to be at MGM Studios, which is now called Hollywood Studios. I also went to the Walt Disney Family Museum, which is at the Presidio in San Francisco. I would suggest you go to that. It is an amazing exhibition. But to learn his origin story, to know where he came from, his humble beginnings, and how he had to persevere and fail over and over again just so he eventually succeed is very inspiring. And I think anybody that it gets down and saying, I, was, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I wasn't born with opportunities. I wasn't given these opportunities. Walt overcame that. He had a dream. He had a vision. And when you enter one man's dream or when you entered it, his, this quote would be saying over and over again. And he says, I hope nobody ever lose sight of one thing that it was all started by a mouse. So it all started by one character that he created. It was Oswald at the very beginning, but somebody else bought it out from underneath him. And then it turned into Mickey Mouse. And so that Mickey Mouse character spurned a whole entire dynasty and empire. So think about that one idea. Don't think about everything that you want to do at once, but think about that one idea that could spurn many more ideas. And don't worry about your failures because those failures will eventually help you down the road and learn from them. And that's what Walt Disney did. And that's what I love learning about him and learning his story and learning about his humble beginnings. Mm, that's awesome. Love it, Rob. Thank you. Kenny. I would just end by saying that uh, I don't think Walt could have made it, uh, nor do I think any of us will make it if we can't occasionally tap into the enthusiasm and fun of acting like children. Uh, mm. I think that- uh, Amen. That is, Walt was a master at being, of, of maintaining playfulness throughout all of his life. The reason he could stay so creative is because I believe he never abandoned childhood. Yeah. He never yeah. left it behind. Um, and I, I think we're, you know, just like if you don't exercise certain muscles in your body, um, I think your, your imagination, your creativity and your potential to make new things and to cause change in the world goes into, into apathy if we don't, um, exercise it. And, and that's exercised by playing, by having fun by finding joy and spreading joy in the things we do every day. Um, 
you know, Disneyland was a, was a total celebration of that. You know, he, he once referred to Disneyland as being his toy box, you mm. know, a place where I could have all the things that, that I wanted when I was a boy, a spaceship, a horse to ride, a pirate ship. Um, so Walt inspired like train and it did and the biggest train set <laughs> around. Right. So, and a castle. So, uh, tap into your own inner child as often as you can and uh, let that inform the, the way you create and the way you spread your message. That's beautiful. Um, before I share my last thoughts, uh, first and foremost, I want to say uh, thank you to the three of you for being a part of this. I love all three of you and I really appreciate you guys being here and uh, humoring me and having this conversation. Uh, wonderful time for me. And then the other thing is, is I hope that everyone watching, everyone listening, whether you're a Disney fan or not, I hope that you got some inspiration out of this. I hope that you got some value out of this um, because as much as we want to geek out on Walt Disney, this is about you guys getting something out of it. And I, I think you did. I'll have to watch it later, but I, I, I truly hope that you did. Now, one thing that I share a lot and I opened in my our mastermind group that we did, the event that we did at Disneyland, which is going to be an event that we're going to continually do, um, was the quote that all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. I love that line. I say it at pretty much every speech that I do. But the thing that we don't think about, we just think, oh, okay, if, if all of our dreams can come true, if we, you know, if we have the courage to pursue them, we just kind of you know, let that kind of go by without thinking about what he's really saying. It takes true courage to pursue something. You know, Walt Disney, he didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't get to where he was just because he um, had some idea and everything went great. We covered that here, but there's so much more to talk about there. It's because he had the courage to step forward and do something that, like Kenny talked about, people said, no, we can't do it. Uh, he had the courage to step forward and do, you know, Rob was talking about how, you know, they created this great culture. Well, when he was researching the parks, you know, researching other parks to figure out what he wanted to create. He talked to all these different people who owned carnivals and owned parks. And they said, no, you don't, you don't hire great people. You hire people who are cheap and will work for next to nothing. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. He had the courage to do that. He had the courage to create a park that if it did not work, his company was going to go bankrupt. Well, lots of companies create things that if they don't work are going to go bankrupt, but not decades into his company. It's not like that was at the beginning. This was decades into it. He risked everything. He had the courage to pursue something. And the pursuit, now that's a whole different story of what that means to actually go forward and do step-by-step step creating something. But he had courage. And ultimately, I think that's 80% of the game. Yeah, 20% is going to be the strategy, what you're going to do, how you're going to accomplish it. But 80% is the courage to step forward and do something that other people are not willing to do. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation today and wanted to share it with you all on this video, in this podcast, however you're consuming this. And I just want you to take that lesson. All of your dreams can come true if you have the courage to pursue them. Think about what courage means. Maybe you're going to have to go through some ups and downs and some bumps in the road. We all are. Everyone who's successful does go through that. 
So have that courage and all of your dreams can come true if you have the courage to pursue them. So thank you so much for listening and watching to this episode of the Speakers, Authors, and Coaches Network. Uh, everyone here, Chuck, Rob, Kenny, thank you so much. Uh, thank you. You guys, and uh, we'll see you later. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Speakers, Authors, and Coaches podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, subscribe, and most importantly, share it with somebody who needs this information. If you're not already a part of our Facebook community, come and join us in the Speakers, Authors, and Coaches network at facebook.com slash groups slash speaker, author, coach, or simply search the Speakers, Authors, and Coaches network. Thanks again for listening. Remember, what you do matters. You can turn your dreams into your reality. Together, we are changing the world one message at a time.